This is the prologue to the From podcast. I'm the co-founder of From Jacket, Nick Hussey, and I'm stood on top of a big hill in the sun in Cornwall having had a bit of a think because the podcast you're about to hear is, for me, really scary to put out there. It's really full on. It's completely unedited. Sort of my life uh, over the last year or so, I think it's a great story and I ran it past a bunch of friends to see what they thought because I got quite scared Um, and they think it is a great story and that it's a sort of emotional roller coaster but also quite inspiring and fun which I think is pretty amazing and hopefully they're not just being nice so um, enjoy and please please do feedback in a relatively nice way enjoy bye Hello, this is the Fram podcast. Uh, Fram is Middle German for noble or man of good character. And that is also the name of my company. I'm Nick Hussey and I'm the co-founder of Fram Jackets. Uh, We make jackets for curious minds. And this podcast is all about talking to different people uh, and maybe talking to myself and you about stuff, stuff that's interesting, stuff that matters, stuff that's silly. I just really like conversation and thinking and trying to work stuff out. And I don't think there's enough of that in the world at the moment. We don't listen, uh, or the world is telling us, the media and social media is telling us not to listen, but to have a side, pick a side, have an easy opinion. And I don't think opinion is easy. I don't think life and choices are easy, apart from maybe some really obvious morality, which seems to have got lost in that. Um, There's a bit of an aspect of mental health in here, Uh, not necessarily in a sort of hardcore way, perhaps we'll venture into that, but it's about looking after ourselves, and I think that's about community and talking. Something that From, my company has, is a pub. It's a virtual pub instead of a blog, and the pub is there because the pub is about community. It's about a place where men particularly find it comfortable to talk about stuff, uh, difficult stuff. And also, in a pub, you can disagree and talk to people without calling them a cunt. Uh, that's something else we're going to do on this podcast is we'll talk in a real way. And if we swear, it's not because we're trying to um, show off or be silly. It's just because people swear. I swear, and that's real. And realness is really important to me and to us at Fram as well. Is I think we've stopped believing in marketing. I'm not sure we ever should have believed in marketing um, because it's all sanitised and it's not real. So hopefully everything I we say about Fram is real and it will have rough edges. Um, so I'm going to say naughty words because that's normal. I'm not going to go out of my way to say lots of uh, fucks, but hey. Um, anyway, so um, this podcast is essentially sponsored by Fram. That's framjacket.com. Um, very just beautiful jackets that I designed, so I'm very proud of them, very biased. Um, I have a background in making clothing that is both technical and classically um, styled. Um, and I did not see jackets that could be worn for lots of different uh, environments, uh, whether it's uh, bagging Munros or going to the pub or going to work, um, dropping the kids off, anything um, that 
that looked really good and was really easy to look after and was just that bang on jacket that we all look for. Um, and I created a really simple company to um, look after my family basically and then my best friend Jason um, came on board and we do it together and he does the finance and operation stuff and he keeps you on track and he's a, just a great person to talk to and to run things past we best made since we were kids he knows me very very well I really respect his opinion I do the sort of design of the jackets and marketing real marketing um, and the kind of ideas website all that malarkey customer service as well everything is done by us essentially 90% me 10% Jason in fact that's how the company's owned I own 90 he owns 10 um, and we're going to be really upfront about all that stuff. Nobody else works on Fram apart from people like Leanne, who I'm going to see today. And that's about finalising our first jacket. So, with that in mind, the first um, podcast is about what, how I created Fram and what this first jacket is, which will probably come in the end, I imagine. I'm not particularly linear in the way I talk. Uh, hopefully that'll work out. But... I think the I just really want to make a podcast because I think the detail behind people is and behind how we we think and make decisions is the most enjoyable and uh, authentic thing we can access and I think that marketing and our messages on websites have to be very very immediate we're really busy people and that's a shame. I think that something that's really getting lost in our society now is just to have a chat and talk bollocks and maybe just find out really important things. Maybe one day it's an epiphany. Maybe one day it's just having a laugh. And these days, you know, I don't see enough of my friends. I don't go to the pub and have a pint. I have two small children. I basically am a house husband and entrepreneur. And those two things are pretty idiotic when it comes to spare time. Um, so I'm sort of forcing myself to talk to people and to have a chat <laughs> to myself um, because I never do that. And so the podcast, like from, is um, is an enabler of uh, not the life I want to lead. Um, and that comes from having a really horrible shock last year. Um, I, I built a company called Volpine, which was much loved and it was kind of the next big thing and we were talked a lot about in the press. We made really fantastic stuff and our customers loved what we were doing, yeah, yeah. And, and because we were growing so fast, I owed a lot of stock and that stock never showed up or most of it never showed up uh, in the beginning of 2017. And, and when you're, and success doesn't necessarily make a strong company. Um, it's a strong brand, strong uh, kit, but it was um, it was risky. The faster you grow, the more dangerous it is. Basically, you know, if your stock doesn't turn up and your cash is in the stock, you haven't got cash. And we closed. It happened really, really fast, and it 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 basically made me have a nervous breakdown, which I have learned over time to talk about. And being quite an open and honest person, it probably was a bit easier for me than other people. You know, I, I, I'm an I'm an oversharer, as Jason likes to say. I will tell people pretty much anything uh, if you ask, and uh, as long as you're polite. Uh, which goes for Twitter, by the way. If you want to grab me, I'm I'm from Nick F R A H M Nick. Just ask me stuff. Um, 
just won't tolerate trolls, which is a thing we'll get onto. Anyway, so, um, so I, I had to close my company, um, and it, it was very, very painful. At the end of the day, it's just a company. You know, nobody died. But, but for me, it, it really pushed me to the edge of my mental limits because Volpine was me. You know, I based a brand around what I believed in and cared about because that's something I kind of do branding as a consultant and stuff. And something I'm always trying to get across is the best brand is the realest brand, the brand you care about. The problem was that my company was part of my, my being. You know, it defined me and I'd allowed it to become the dominant force in my life instead of my kids and my marriage. And that that was a really stupid thing to do. It really drove the company and it kept me going through a lot of very difficult times because running a company is unbelievably fucking hard. Nobody talks about that, like how hard it is, you know. And this is not grandstanding, it's just the facts. And it's much, much harder when you go bust. And people never talk about that either. People don't talk about the fact you fail. And I started thinking about this, and this is how I got onto Fram, and okay, let's stick to the point. So, so yeah, I failed. And so another thing that really hit me hard was I failed. I, I, I didn't fail. I, I was a winner, I was going to win. You know, it was this absolute determination, hopefully not arrogance. There might have been a touch to that, but I just couldn't face losing. I was not gonna lose, and that allowed me to push through some mental and physical envelopes that I didn't think I was capable of doing. You know, this absolute determination not to give up. And then, when you talk to your solicitors, when you look and you talk to your FD and they say, no, Nick, you've got to close. That's it. You tried your best. Sorry. You have no choice. Um, something that helped me was I had tried my best. I knew I had. that There wasn't an ounce of energy left in me. And this was another problem. Another reason I had a mental breakdown, uh, nervous breakdown, whatever you want to call it, um, was I, I was just physically exhausted, mentally exhausted, just so tired, and I had been for a long time, I think I was probably burnt out for a long period before that, you know, not efficient, really not sure if I was enjoying it, was forcing myself through at times, you know, because I, I loved what I did, but it's very difficult to run at that level when you just just want to, you know, I, I fantasised about running away and just riding around Norway and, and sleeping in a hut uh, atop of a Norwegian mountain, you know, all the time. It became an obsession. Still haven't done it, but hey. <laughs> um, anyway, so this exhaustion, this, this feeling like the what I stood for, so I, things I stand for about not giving up, determination, pushing through fear, you know, things that I've, I've decided that I want to stand for, for myself, and, but also about being the nice guy, doing the right thing, and, and that, that was the final straw for me, is the company closed, and it went into administration, and I was trying to help, you know, sell off the assets so that everyone could get paid, and the staff could keep their jobs, which was another thing that I found really horrific, having to tell the staff, you know, I'd fought so hard for them, and Uh, to tell them that they'd lost their jobs was just the, so hard to tell investors they'd lost their money. To let people down. Of course, I'd, I hadn't really let... Uh, I hadn't really let people... Well, you know, I hadn't. You know, if I had, I fucked up, you know, 
we fucked up. Hello, I'm in Cornwall again. I think we need a bit of a break. So, here's some lovely music. Have a biscuit, maybe a gin and tonic, or a ginger beer. I'll be back in a second. Well, you know, had and had, you know, if I had, I fucked up, you know, we fucked up. This company failed, you know, lots of lots of elements, lots of people trying the best, you know, it didn't work out. And, you know, it was that, but at the same time, I didn't want to hurt anyone. So, so yeah, obviously that was, that was pretty fucking awful. And, and so I was trying very, very hard to save something from that. And then what happens, I got really badly trolled. Um, I got some really shitty media coverage that people said I should sue about, and I wasn't about to do that, and I didn't have the resources, mental or financial, to do that. Um, you know, all I wanted to do was crawl into a hole and die, sort of semi-literally, actually, which is a worry. Um, so, yeah, so, what am I trying to say? So, this is the hard part for me, is, I I was now not the nice guy to some people. I was I was the bad guy, you know. Um, and to hear that when you're right on the edge, when you have no landing pad, no ability to get context for what was being said, and, and just feeling like everyone was attacking you. And look, I deserve criticism. At the end of the day, the company failed, but I didn't deserve to be lied about or, or to anything vindictive or you know some of the bonkers stuff that was said which in context now was really quite small but in my world at that time was just just the end of everything I mean you know I I I don't know if I wanted to kill myself but I definitely didn't want to be awake or a, around and I think that's the beginnings of a quite a dangerous and dark place and certainly some health professionals identified that so yeah fucking know some people who know me quite well it would be quite shocked to hear that but this is all about this honesty and I think a lot more people are starting to talk in this way and it's just I just need to say facts I think that helps me and it helps other people so another part of why I'm doing this podcast and talking like this is because you know, other entrepreneurs, other people who've gone through the horror of losing their company, you know, I want them to have something, someone to identify with, you know, because it isn't out there. People don't talk about this shit. Entrepreneurs uh, have a myth about, you know, always succeeding, you know, always going for it, you know, never failing. And that's bollocks because at the end of the day, most businesses fail. You have to fail, you know. I. Everyone who was supportive, and that was a lot of lovely people when Volpine closed, just said, hey, I've had a business that closed, and don't worry, it feels awful now, but you'll, you'll, you'll never get over it, but it'll be a huge help to you uh, in your next company. And I couldn't get my head around another company, but those people reminded me that the statistics are that most companies fail, and yet I wasn't prepared to fail, which seems like a stupid thing. If you're going to go and start a company, you've got to realise that it probably won't work. Um, but because for five years we were 
doing really well. We had the ups and downs, there's pretty terrifying moments along the way, but when you're growing 150% and you just seem to be nailing it, <laughs> you don't think you're gonna close, you know, and then suddenly some sort of production cataclysm happens and that's it. But that's the danger of businesses. Anyway, so, yeah, and that's something that Fram was built from was okay, wow, I learned an enormous amount from that and I was really green when I went into it. And Jesus Christ, you know, at the beginning of 2018, in fact, New Year's Day, I thought, I, sorry, New Year's Eve 2017, I, I was talking to my friend Paul Zminitsky, um, who's a top chap of mine, was my neighbour in London before I moved to Somerset. He, he just said, hey Nick, you should just make jackets. You should make jackets because you make jackets really well and you should just do it because I think that's what you want to do. And he was absolutely right and I just leapt on it. I was just so glad that someone had said that, but I was so terrified about starting my company again. When you've gone through something like that, why would you want to put yourself through it again? But it's what I'm good at. And also I've learned so much about it, why wouldn't I? And then I just thought, no, I won't be beaten by my fears. I won't be beaten by trolls or beaten by whatever it is. And so I will, I'll do it. That's why I'm here now. Fram is very much about using what you've learned and not being beaten. Um, and I think that's a really important way to get through life is just to get better at it. And for me, getting better at it is, oh, I just don't want to live thinking I gave up, didn't try. Know, that's a very very strong driving force that's about regrets and stuff like that okay so I I had a nervous breakdown and I would like to talk about what that's like uh, because for me I'm sure it's different for other people um, I cried a lot I, I, I couldn't get context for anything that was happening in my life it just felt like everything was going wrong um, I've been sh waking up shaking shaking hands for a quite a few months before that, just from fatigue. And then when, in the, in the weeks where it looked like suddenly Volpine was in serious shit, I, I, I just shook constantly and I started not sleeping, which is very dangerous. I've always been a heavy sleeper. And then when, you know, it went really, I think I the point in which I had a nervous breakdown was when um, a troll on a website was just saying, mental stuff, really mental stuff, and it wasn't really being, being controlled, it wasn't being, uh, what's it called, um, mediated, uh, is that right? And, um, no, <laughs> I can't remember the word, and, uh, and then, the, the, you know, this, I know you these guys, but they phoned me up and said, can you answer these questions about this stuff, and I was like, what? You're asking me about that? You know, and then I was phoned up. I was looking after my kids. I was feeling really, really dangerously upset. And to be asked about stuff that just, why would you ask that? But I think it was just, I don't know, clicks? You know, this sort of, oh, well, this seems quite interesting. So maybe if Nick answers this stuff, he quite clearly. I just refused to answer it. I just said, why would I answer this stuff? Why would I feed the beast? You know, you should not be paying heedance to trolls. 
I, I can give you all the facts. I can give you all the boring stuff. In fact, you can go and access it online. Why don't you just do that? But I'm not going to give credence to any of that stuff. And, and so I had to try and find a way to be professional when all I wanted to do was gather my kids up and sit in the car and, and bawl my eyes out. Not just because of the phone call, but because I couldn't... I just didn't know. I didn't know who I was anymore. That was the worst part of it. I've always had a very strong sense of self and hopefully quite self-aware. Um, Probably a lot more now. Um, and suddenly I, I, I just didn't have a fucking clue what was going on. Who I was, I just felt like I was rattling around in my own head. It was this boiling anxiety um, of... How do I say this? If you don't know what you stand for and who you are, and if people tell you you're not who you are, if, if events tell you who you're not, <laughs> then you're, you can't cling to the thing that's the basis of, you know, being awake and your, uh, your psyche. And so if you think you're a good person and people tell you you're a bad person, if you think you don't give up and you've given up, if you're determined but you stopped, if you were thought you were a winner but you lost, um, then you, you just I collapsed. Of course, the other things that I, I am is about being a good husband, a, a loving, kind person, being a good father. I think I did have, I do have, but, but I couldn't get the context for that. I, I wasn't thinking that way. Um, I was just exhausted, mentally, physically. So, so that's when I had nervous breakdown. And it, it, it basically involved giving up. And thankfully, uh, there's a lovely guy who, uh, Andrew, who really helped me. Hi, Andrew, thank you. Who, who just told me to give up, to accept it. And, 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 and that was when, and that was a relief. And, and my wife, Emma Lou, who, you know, we'd lost our income, we'd lost our business, we potentially we're going to be millionaires and suddenly we're in really serious shit, you know, debt-wise, both got knocked on jobs. And that's, you know, look, we took a risk launching a company, we knew it was hard, we probably had no idea how hard it would be, you know, we were all in, remortgaged a number of times, moved just to be able to afford to live, all this stuff. You know, that stuff spectacularly blew up in our faces and that's tough shit on us. Um, but she had to deal with that and her husband of 22 years was in a very scarily bad mental health state um, and look after two small children with no money and that's fucking horrible and I feel terrible for that and I shouldn't feel terrible for that and I've tried to learn to do that but I do anyway so so I got really good advice and I, I went to the doctor in a really embarrassing, shouldn't be embarrassed but I was, state and, and they put me on, well they gave me uh, antidepressant, well anti-anxiety drugs called metazapine and um, I was really terrified about taking that stuff, I hate taking drugs. I. I thought, like a lot of people, it would change who I was, that I'd be stuck on them forever. Um, but I, and I held off for a bit, but it became so 
painful. I, I didn't realise that, you know, when you're in that state, it's physically painful. It's horrific. Um, I, I just had to take them. You know, it became, I, I was so scared of where I was compared to the drugs I had, had to take them. Well, I really didn't want to take them. And, you know, I can remember taking the pill and being fucking terrified, you know, that I was going to go into some bizarre Alice in Wonderland netherworld. <laughs> anyway, I was so, so relieved to take these pills because suddenly I slept. I slept really solidly, which was incredibly important, you know, and suddenly I was calm. And instead of being in this very, very wakeful nightmare of shaking and impossible to be calm and relaxed, I was suddenly, I was kind of stoned, I suppose. Um, and that quickly wore off those side effects of being a bit just sort of tunnel vision and dopey for a couple of days. And then I just felt much, much better. Like I could, I could get a grip, but I could, as in get a grip of how to recover, how to, what the next step was. Not as in, oh, get a grip and man up and all that stuff. Because I, I don't believe in that stuff and I never did. I, I've grown up around depression. My family and seen its effects hopefully reasonably empathic about that which has helped so so you're taking these drugs which is a huge huge help and um, what do I say that's interesting um, <laughs> I just spent so what how do I recover so I, I, I went to the things that give me joy and happiness and calmness which were cycling so the irony of running a cycling company was I've never rode a bike, I was too busy. Um, so I rode my bike, I rode to, I, back, I bike pack, packed across the southwest of the UK and just rode all day, every day, ate food, stayed Airbnbs and just disappeared. Um, you know, really cheap and cheerful, just didn't want to talk to anyone. But, but that's what, just what I needed, you know, phone sort of, you know, turned off, you know, in the pack if I needed it. And that, that was just like an immediate thing because I'd been fantasizing about doing something like that for ages. It wasn't for long, couldn't afford it for it to be long, but it just, you know, that was the start. And then just spending time with family and I became much more of a house husband and started trying to take stuff off my wife while she looked for a job. Um, which I really, really enjoyed. I mean, I started to realise just how little I'd seen of my children, um, how little they knew of me. That's really devastating. Um, and then I I watched a lot of films on Netflix. Just a massive film lover. Watched Goodfellas for the gazillionth time and Pulp Fiction and you know, Jerry Maguire and Jerry Maguire's one of my all-time favourite films and it always makes me cry and I cry my eyes out. Uh, all that stuff and just starting to just release all this pent-up emotion and just probably reminding myself who I am, just giving my brain space to, you know, compute everything that happened. Computing the last seven years, setting up this company, not, you know, the good times. I hadn't really thought about and processed all the amazing stuff that had worked and had succeeded and just some bonkers stuff, you know, unbelievable things that had happened. And 
you know, the really awful things as well, not just the failure, but it's, you know, like I say, running a company is mostly just getting punched in the face and occasionally throwing your hands up in the air in victory and, and then moving on to being punched in the face again. So just computing years and years of extreme effort, computing the fact that I had two small children, hadn't really got my head around that. You know, all this stuff, computing the fact that I moved to Somerset now, you know, all this stuff. Massive, massive sort of, uh, I don't know, living decades in a short period of time. Um, yeah, rode a bike, did some gardening, bought the dog a lot, um, you know, just quiet, cheap, easy stuff. Um, and, and started to feel the embers of, of my um, determination my drive and passion returning you know that's always something something people have identified in me is I'm a very very passionate probably annoyingly sort of you know ebullient and talkative person and I I didn't talk for most of the first few months you know people would come around people I knew and I just sort of listened to them and look at them and just feel I couldn't really engage with them and I think it was probably very obvious that I was you know not in a good way slowly but surely I felt like coming back you know I felt bad because new people I was meeting in Somerset probably weren't meeting me um <laughs> probably a help because I was actually listening to them rather than talking constantly um and uh, yeah so so then I started to feel much better and what happened was I got approached to help out a uh, a company uh, a small company and and just to have somebody having faith in what I was doing, or had done, and say, can you please help me? I think you could offer me stuff I don't have. Um, you know, strategic look at the whole company, marketing, brand, all that stuff. Um, oh, that was an enormous boost. Just, just huge. And doing that work, getting paid for it, you know, first of all, just the fact that I was actually contributing to the household just made me feel much, much better about myself. The fact, just it loved the work, loved being able to help, loved being able to use my knowledge, and that really, really progressed me mentally. Um, and so I thought, okay, this is important. I clearly need to work. I thought that. I know that that's something I am. So, okay, okay, um, I, I, I'm a consultant then. Fine. And I started going to approach more work, and it just sort of built. I wasn't like constantly busy but it just felt really good to do that stuff and I didn't want to be constantly busy because I wasn't sure if I was ready for it but I felt like the more work I did the better I was um, and I started to absorb other companies and what they were good at and what they were bad at and what they were struggling with and I, I saw the same struggles all the time in small businesses and startups you know the same I saw the same founders and entrepreneurs in Real, really upset. I've I, I've had founders cry on my shoulders probably more than I didn't. You know, literally giving someone a cuddle because, you know, with permission, um, because they were just so exhausted and so frightened. And I thought, oh my god, I wasn't alone in that. You know, but well, nobody ever talks about it. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. I want to put a flag in that. Um, you know, and just try. You know, thankfully, being you know somebody who could say it's okay, this is normal. You know, I've been there. 
uh, you know, let's find a better way to do things. And often, almost always, that was, let's simplify what you're trying to do. Let's stop trying to reach all the time for more and more and more and more. If you want to grow and if you want to be successful, you've got to simplify everything. Um, and that became my mantra because I, that's what I recognised I did wrong. Everything about Volpheim was too complicated um, because I didn't want to say no. I didn't want to feel that I should or could be turning stuff down. You know, everything was, you know, a uh, strain on the staff. Uh, it was a strain on our cash resources, buying too, too much stock and, you know, uh, reaching for, you know, uh, range expansion, all this stuff. Um, so, um, yeah, so, so, you know, I can see that very, very clearly post-bust. Uh, but when you're in the middle of it, very hard. <sighs> so... So I was doing this consultancy, but I just felt... Re so the other thing I spotted it was I started to see the much better models in certain things. And I went to see uh, some guys called Hunt Bike Wheels, lovely guys, Tom Pete, brothers, set up this company in their 30s. I'm just blown away about how good their business was. You know, nobody was talking about how good their business was. People were talking about their wheels and how great they were, rightly so. But but they were just getting on, on with it, on the quiet, and just thought, what an amazing model, um, because it was simple. And then I thought, okay, if I do this again, now I have a much better idea of how to do it. You know, and that thing was, why does it have to be so big? Volpine was a beast fed by investment to become potentially a hundred million, you know, plus value and to be sold for a load of money and, you know, a huge return. But the bigger the return, the bigger the risk. Um, and uh, the harder it is, uh, the less likely it is to happen or to, to get a return, you know. And professional investors understand that. I think a lot of crowd investors understand that as well. Um, so, so I thought, okay, I don't, I don't want to get investment again. I don't want that pressure. I want it to be wholly or mostly owned by us because I want it to provide for the family. So I'm not, I wasn't trying to be really rich with Volpine. I just really, really had a big point to prove about um, how far I could take things, how, how well I could do, how, what I was I, I capable of. And now I was like, no, actually, I just want to run a good business that provides for my family. Because now the thing I'm thinking about more than anything is, oh, shit, I, my family can't afford to live at the moment. You know, that's, that's the priority, you know. Um, and, and also it takes the pressure off. You know, I've had a mental breakdown. I don't want to, that to happen again, ever. It's awful, you know. I need to look after myself. I need to look after other people. My business corroded my family and my relationship with my wife, and I did not see my kids. I don't want that to happen again. So I don't want a high growth, high pressure business. I want a business, a small business. I'm not an entrepreneur, I'm a small business person. Not sure if I completely got rid of the entrepreneur thing. Um, so, so yeah. So I, I started building this company in my head, but, I didn't feel like I had any right to start a new company 
um, from my wife more than anything. And I didn't, I was scared. I didn't know, yeah, I was just scared. So I did consultancy and then I just felt quite frustrated by that. I just didn't feel that I, I'm just gonna check my back is still going, yep, okay. I didn't feel that consultancy was fulfilling. I, it, it, it was a saccharine blast of being able to help. Very interesting, I love meeting new people. But, and I still do, you know, and I still sort of open to consultancy, but it's not my priority, is I didn't get to do the nitty gritty. I love the A to Z of running a company, of, of building something, you know, thinking about it, creating a strategy, you know, making it happen, seeing it through, seeing the results, celebrating the results. You know, that's, that's amazing. It's so, so much fun. That's why I love being an entrepreneur. Use your head and your skills and experience, learn stuff, you know, which is fantastic, and then celebrate it. Fantastic. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I was just using my, uh, my knowledge, experience, uh, my wits, which was still great. You know. I just wanted to be an entrepreneur, and the thing that was really starting to get on my nerves was that I'd learnt all this stuff. And I had a really clear picture about how to do it again. And I'm not one to back away from a, an opportunity. So, so then Paul said to me on New Year's Eve, Nick, we should do jackets. And I just leapt in, you know, feet first, straight away. And I think that Frick Paul was like, oh, hey, okay, wow, you really wanted to do that. And then Emma Lou, to my surprise, was like, yeah, absolutely, this is who you are. She knew that this was what defined me and what I was good at. Um, and it was probably, the if it was a safe company, you know, if it was really structured about being a safe, nice, not gentle, it's always hard work company, then, hey, look, you know, uh, maybe it was the best thing for the family. Maybe it was the way for us to live. It seemed to make sense. Um, so yeah, I started building from, and and I mentioned this to Jason, my co-founder, and he just said, "If you need money, I'll put it in." You know, he's not super rich, but he has money, and he knew that it wasn't. I wasn't looking for a lot of investment, and I was very reluctant to take any money. But I knew it had to have some somewhere because I didn't have any of my own. So. I said, oh, thank you very much. Well, let me build the company, let's see. So it went away, oh, and it's really good fun just taking all these elements and building something that works. It's like engineering. And so I did, okay, what are these things I want? So first of all, emotionally, what do I want? Okay, I want a company that doesn't destroy me. It doesn't hurt anyone else. I want a nice company. I want to do something for charity that helps people. Well, I, I don't have skills in in being able to help people, um, you know, in a very direct way, such as, you know, um, uh, mental health or, you know, abuse or anything like that. Okay, but I'm good at making jackets. Oh, hang about, I said jackets, not clothes. I'm, I'm really good at making jackets. I know this, We all the best thing we did of Old Pimes Jackets is most of what we sold, that was the best reviewed, and um, I love jackets. Okay, I'm going to make jackets. Fine, keep it simple. Just jackets. Uh, okay, next. Um, okay, the good bit. Okay, 
Right, so charity. Okay, we'll just give money to somebody's charity. Fine, I'll give £10 for every jacket to charity. And it, that's that promise, and if I stick to that, great. It's just gonna happen. Because with Volpine, we tried to do lots of lovely stuff, and we did charity days, you know, and it was ad hoc, and we'd do it when we could, and it wasn't always well received internally. So, you know, it was tricky because we hadn't set our stall out to be that, which is fine, fair enough. So I'm setting up my stall. Okay, I'm gonna give money to charity, fine, okay. Um, what am I thinking about? Okay, I'm thinking about mental health. I'm thinking about not just this thing about men not talking enough, but we as a society don't talk enough. And I'm a big fan of social media, and I also hate social media. I've seen how I've been trolled, and other people get trolled, how, how people who would seem decent, nice people will suddenly jump at people how there has to be sides, how there has to be black and white, and that's just not life, and it's not how we as humanity are gonna get on. All the problems we have with politics about sides. And actually, wait a second, I really miss pubs. First of all, because it's how men and people get to know each other and can share their problems, maybe over a pint or two. My dad was an alcoholic, so I'm not a fan of lots of booze. So the pub isn't about drinking. The pub is about the, what it stands for. It's the ability to talk. And specifically, it's the ability to different people to talk. If, now I'm a sort of centre lefty, um, which you can probably tell, and a bit of a guardian Easter. If I sit next to somebody votes Conservative in the pub, there's probably a lot more I have in common with them uh, than difference. Uh, and I miss that. I like meeting people, different people. I like hearing their opinions. It's important to know what people think of the world. Um, and and also, you're never going to be, be able to persuade anyone by screaming at them and swearing at them and calling them a cunt online. And you're not going to do that in a pub. In a pub, if you call someone a cunt, you get thrown out or punched and nobody will speak to you again. There are um, sanctions and those are sensible sanctions. I'm not talking about the dodgy pubs where if you wear the wrong clothes you get punched in the face. We're not talking about those pubs. We're talking about normal nice pubs where, you know, just decent people, which is most people. I fundamentally believe that. Whether they were voted Brexit or not, whatever party they vote for, most people are decent kind people who are willing to listen to other people and the pub is how you do that you know the pub is all about bringing different people together Fram's pub is not going to change the world but it is a start and it's something I care about pubs also have interesting things in them they have food they have booze they have different kinds of people if it's the right kind of pub I'd like a pub that has a transvestite sat with a potter as I'm thinking about Grace and Perry, um, and uh, some artists, and some labourers, and some graphic designers, and some city boys. You know, it's like, you know, they're all mixing and feeling comfortable in each other's company. That's the ultimate pub. Not sure if there is one. Maybe there is. In real life. Um, and some art on the walls, photography, you know, lots of different things. A real cross-section of humanity, and all the fun stuff and interesting stuff. There's some music being played, you know, Annie Lennox is having a bit of a sing-song, and Kraftwerk, etc, etc. You know, this is my ultimate pub. 
So I wanted to build that online. So this is the basis of essentially the blog. Swap the blog and farm for this. Okay, so great. I've got the basis of something which matters. And I think when you're building a brand, from a business point of view, you want something you really believe in. It's easy, or certainly easier to do, when you fully understand what this brand stands for and you really care. And people can tell. And something that I'm also obsessed by is about bullshit, clickbait, false marketing. Is bad marketing is just made up, is guesswork, is using only data to and fear to create marketing because other marketing's like that. That's not good marketing. Good marketing comes from the heart. Good marketing is creative and matters. So that's how um, I built from as somebody overtakes me at 110 miles an hour. Oh dear, that annoys me. Right, so yeah, I'm on the way today. Sorry, I am hands free though. Um, it's just sorry for the noise in the background. <sighs> Throwing myself. So yeah, things that matter. I'm going to have marketing that's real. You've got to market something. If you don't market anything, nobody will hear about it. How will anyone ever know? You know. But marketing is like sales has become a real negative. Uh, buzzword and it shouldn't be uh, I don't think Americans feel this way nearly as much you know uh, they're quite open to sales oh you've got a thing tell me about it I'll decide whether I like it or not and, and that's very much my my feeling about it I've done sales and marketing I've I've got faith in my product let me tell you about it if you don't want it that's fine that's how I feel about it that's what I want to do with from on top of some really beautiful creative imagery and hopefully some passionate and interesting copy Great, okay, I've built my marketing. Okay, let's go back to the jackets. Um, something I did with Volpine that I noticed was actually, I, I created, um, I created um, a brand which was pretty new for what it did. It became the leader in it, was technical but stylish clothing for cycling. You could wear it on and off the bike, which is quite novel, so not lycra, um, it didn't smell, um, it was quick drying, it worked in the rain, it was tough, you know, you could wear it on and off the bike, gosh, got on with your life in the same pair, set of clothing. People really, really got into that, and it was um, really did well. I just realised my finger's been over the mic the whole time, so I hope that hasn't rustled too much. Ugh. So, but what was interesting was a lot of customers were buying Volpine, particularly jackets, just just for normal life, just the other stuff. Didn't even necessarily cycle because they had multiple purposes. They, it was built to do outdoorsy, rural, as well as urban stuff. And they were really well built and looked really good, if I may say so. And the biggest problem Volpine had was that it was about educating the market. It's a lot of work. You basically had to build a new sector, not just say, hey, we're, you know, we're good at this sector because the worry wasn't a sector, we were creating it. That's really, really hard work, you know. Um, and actually, there's a wider world of, of people who just want stuff that works, that, that is really good value. Not good value as in, the value is not price. Um, buying a jacket for 20 quid was not good value because somebody along that production process is getting fucked over and it's going to fall apart. It's not going to work. So I wanted to make high quality stuff that offered lots of value, as in it lasted a long time, was easy to use, um, looked great, you could use it for loads of different purposes. I believe in that stuff. And I also believe that is an environmentally just thing to do. 
because the most unenvironmentally friendly thing to do is buy lots of crap for 10 or 20 quid that you throw away. I want a jacket that works and lasts. That's important. Hello, it's Nick in Cornwall again. Let's have another break. That'll be the last one. exclude women it's, it's about simplicity it's about I have this thing where I want to help men because I think that they have the most difficulty in communicating and getting over the things that they care about I think that there's a most to be gained in society by letting men free as it were they're very creative loving caring um, decent people and Women are recognised as that, and rightly so, but often men aren't. And so I want to talk about how wonderful and kind and decent men are, and find wonderful and kind and decent, creative, interesting men, and make that the norm. And I didn't see a men's brand that did that. And to be passionate, I wanted to find the thing I could really laser focus on. Also, from a practical point of view, and being completely honest, if I make for men, it's simpler. I don't have to buy double the stock, have double the money, etc etc and that's what I need to do so fine I'm just going to make stuff for me um, the jackets and really it was taking Volpine and just improving on it so the jacket that's about to re be released is £395 um, and we did make jackets that were very successful at Volpine for that much um, but but they were the highest end and I thought you know what I like the highest end if it's really going to nail it it needs to be higher end the best fabric the best trims the best factory you know um, and people go what the fuck 400 quid for a jacket you're joking but where I look around you know you, you look at Mr Porter you know who has fantastic jackets on but those jackets how many of them really do the job of you know a job of work and looking great you know um you can have an 800 quid piece of fashion which looks absolutely beautiful but falls apart and you can have a 600 quid weirdly probably a lot more expensive to produce because it's technical um rain jacket which looks like a bin bag so i wanted to marry the two 395 quid you know provides a living for my family and seems like a very fair price for something that's going to do an outstanding job um it's not going to be for everyone. So this is the next important thing, and this is how the business was built, is I'm not going to make many jackets because then I don't need lots of money and I don't want lots of money, um, and it's very simple. Instead of, with Volpine, where, you know, if I make 1,000, 2,000 jackets, I've got to sell them. And if I don't sell all of them, I've got to discount them because I need to get my cash back to buy more stock. And this is how most clothing companies work. Once you've discounted, people will wait for the discount and you're stuck. 
because then people wait for the discount and you don't get as much money and then oh shit we're selling less jackets and more jackets uh, you know it's just a vicious cycle so I thought you know what just make less jackets don't discount them just sell enough jackets and when they've gone great make another small amount of jackets <laughs> and do it that way but to do that costs have to be really low so you've got to do pretty much everything yourself which is the case um so again it's got to be really simple so that means you can't have a big range so i'm just going to make one jacket at a time which seems pretty innovative certainly innovative to me because that's not what i was doing before and when that jacket's gone you can make another jacket and when that jacket's gone you can make another jacket and people can see what's going on they go okay if i want a jacket i'm gonna to have to pre-order it um and that means you're more likely to sell jackets um and just be very upfront about that here comes the jacket if you like it pre-order it if you don't that's fine um you pay a price everyone knows what the price is and you're not trying to churn out loads of sales messages and marketing and just scrabbling about for the extra sale and getting bogged down in that it's life is much simpler for me because i go here's some stuff let's talk about some nice things in the pub here's the jacket if you don't like it don't worry it's fine I i'm not worried um uh phew i know i'm gonna sell 100 jackets and that's not arrogance it's because if you're if i know i've sold thousands of jackets and these jackets are even better I should be able to sell 100 jackets. I fucking hope I'm right. Now, and that's the risk is, yeah. But what's amazing is we sort of soft launched a few weeks ago and I didn't want to shoot the jacket and get it out there because I really, really want the absolute final version of it to have it fully tested. One of the reasons I'm driving down the motorway right now, you know, I'm really, really certain about it. So I'm just going to tell people what the brand is, show, you know, them the pub and just have a hint of what it's going to be with a picture of a label and you know people just get so i get a feel for it okay it's pre-order you know 395 quid now i know what from stands for it's men's jacket it's fine so when you do launch great at least we got started at least i started to build a an awareness but people are buying the stuff i, I never meant or expected that to happen i set up pre-orders to out of my stall and say okay this is what you need to do when it happens but people are pre-ordering and that oh wow i'm not gonna have another wibble but to see that people had faith in what i did before and to have faith in what we're doing now and just saying look <laughs> on the fact of what i can see i'm going to spend 395 quid on a pre-order that's just incredible and that was another huge boost that is when i felt i'd recovered from my mental breakdown that's when i went okay people believe in me and that was the last piece of the puzzle is and nobody gave me shit online why would anyone give me shit you know everyone knew the story by now all the bollocks had gone away the story was boring it's just another company that went bust how rubbish is that and so you know i could get on with my new company instead of being fearful and whatnot so yeah so we're selling pre-order so we're due to sell out before the jacket arrives it's just unbelievable we haven't released any images yet so i should tidy this up um i i went on the photo shoot on tuesday with chris my mate who was the model always just used real people 
um, and Alex, who's all my sort of photographer with the uh, last couple of years of Alpine and, uh, and now, who I absolutely love. Oh God, the images are so good. So I got the jacket, got the jacket. <laughs> it's just, oh, you know, that, that feeling, I'd love to be able to express that feeling when your jacket comes, the jacket, for the first time and you look at it and you put it on, you go, this is my vision. This is it, and it's it's everything I thought and hoped it would be. And people are gonna love this, you know. And yeah, I'm gonna say that. Of course, I'm gonna say that. But well, look. If it wasn't right, you wouldn't be hearing from me. If it wasn't right, I wouldn't release it. If it wasn't right, we wouldn't be here. I'm not gonna put shit out there. And from pride before just not wanting to put you know, just it being the right thing to do and also you just get found out why would you put crap out there you know people will review it people will talk to other people and if it doesn't cut the mustard and this is still to happen you will decide um and i i don't think people are stupid you can say all the marketing in the world and say how amazing something is but if it isn't good you're stuffed but it is good, and I feel really good about it. And ah, oh, just the relief and the happiness and the the creative vision to actually come out in reality is such a wonderful, intoxicating thing. Yay! So, shot the jacket. Looks fantastic. The images are just ace. Really happy with them, and I just love shooting photography. Great, great, great. This is the really fun bit. <sighs> I could do that right now and release all that. I'll tell you all about the jacket, and I'm not going to. And it's not some weird the reason is because I'm fucking exhausted and now I know how that feels and how that dangerous that is how I know I won't do good work and it will affect my family and is affecting my family because I'm grumpy and I'm disappointed in myself all this stuff I'm just I'm just not going to launch now I'm gonna go on a little quiet family holiday in a rented house in Cornwall by the sea and I'm just going to chill. I'm just going to quite happily relax with my family and spend time with them. And I'm not going to work. I'm just, and that all these ideas are going to permeate. So when I come back in a couple of weeks, I'll know exactly what to do. I'll know how I want to talk about it. And I'll do it much faster. So something I learned, really interesting thing I learned, I'm going to, I need to cut this short, is, I am a house husband and, and half a week, well, probably more than half a week, and I am a uh, founder of Fram for half a week. And in that, I've created Fram. And the reason I'd be able to do that is, first of all, I'm much, much more experienced. I'm much better at what I do. And secondly, I strategized and built it very carefully to be simple and used all, everything I'm good at, rather than trying to reach and just having a really clear plan. And once I'm doing it, I'm also thinking about it in the time when I'm walking with the kids in the forest, when I'm wiping up messes and putting them to bed, things are percolating into my head. And I didn't have that Volpine, everything was a thousand miles an hour. And that time and space to allow your thoughts, your synapses to structure into learning, that's so incredibly important. I used to feel really guilty about holidays and having breaks, and now I know that that is the incredibly valuable thing to do. So if you're an entrepreneur, or whoever you are, 
and you don't feel you can have a break, it is of value, greater value to have a break. If you don't think you're thinking properly, you are fucking it up. So, I'm going to go on a two-week holiday. When I come back, I'm going to launch a jacket, which is beautiful, and I'm going to show you some lovely images, and you'll finally be able to see what it is. It's something I care about deeply. Hopefully, I will come back with some podcasts where I talk to lots of people. I've got some really interesting people lined up. One of them will be Jason, my co-founder. We'll talk about our relationship and about Fram, and that's really interesting. It's very different from me. <sighs> Probably much nicer to talk, to talk listen to. Um, but no, joking about men and women, lots of different backgrounds, lots of different stuff, silly stuff, fun stuff, all kinds, just chats um, and more art, etc. Just I, I'd like to be entertaining and interesting and for Fram to make good things that make a small difference. So we'll see. Um, please, 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 please comment on any blogs um, uh, in the pub. Um, it's there because I want the discussion. I need the discussion. You can challenge. You can push. Just don't be rude. You know, don't be a dick. That's our rule. It's our pub. Pub. Our rules. You can grab me on Twitter at from Jacket or from Nick. And um, uh, you know, far away. Email on uh, hello at fromjacket.com. And um, yeah, let's see. Thank you very much for listening to me. Sorry about the engine noise. I'm coming into London. That went well, but it was the only time I had to do it, so I thought I'd do it now. Um, And take care, and sorry for shouting and being silly. (sighs) All right, that was my first podcast. It'll get better. Love you, bye. Okay, we're done. Thank you very much for listening all the way through. If you'd like to speak to me directly, as it were, you can get me on Twitter on Fram Nick or the company on Fram Jacket. You can go and look at jackets at framjacket.com or you can just look at the website and laugh at everything on it and ignore us forever. That's okay, although not as good. And I'd also like to thank David Roger uh, for helping me with the sound on this podcast and doing a bit of editing because I'm an idiot um, and for not grinding his teeth down at the horror of recording it in a car, which for a sound engineer must be very, very difficult. Um, Thank you and we'll do it much better next time. Cheers. Take care. Bye.